Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. This episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Leonard Lee, executive analyst and founder of NextCurve. Leonard has 30 years of experience advising and delivering digital business solutions to Fortune 500 companies. He discusses how converging technologies are creating new opportunities at the edge and the interesting trends he is observing in tech. This conversation spans across edge versus on-prem, failed digital transformations, edge tech and retail, digital twins, and more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations, across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so that you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dellTechnologies.com slash simplify your edge for more information or click on the link in the show notes. Two years ago, when I started the Over the Edge podcast, it was all about edge computing. That's all anybody could talk about. But since then, I've realized the edge is part of a much larger revolution. That's why I'm pretty proud to be one of the founding leaders of a nonprofit organization called the Open Grid Alliance, or OGA. The OGA is all about incorporating the best of edge technologies across the entire spectrum of connectivity, from the centralized data center to the end-user devices. The Open Grid will span the globe, and it will improve the performance and economics of new services like private 5G and smart retail. If you want to be part of the Open Grid movement, I suggest you start at opengridalliance.org, where you can download the original Open Grid manifesto and learn about the organization's recent projects and activities, including the launch of its first innovation zone in Las Vegas, Nevada. And now, please enjoy this interview between Matt Trefiro and Leonard Lee. Hey, Leonard. Thanks for joining us on the Over the Edge podcast. Great to be here. It's about time, right? Yeah, we've certainly been trying to get this together for quite a while. We see each other on LinkedIn all the time, yeah, occasionally the time. troll each other. But. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> nice to be live. So one of the things I yeah. love to ask my guests, because I think it's a super interesting answers, is like, how'd you get your start in technology? Oh, geez. Wow. I've been a nerd from like childhood, right? I mean, I was always enamored by computers. My first one was an Apple IIe, and I guess fascinated with software programming computers started off with basic i don't know if you remember basic. oh totally, totally right so first language i learned too yeah, yeah. And then started when the mac came around bought one or at least my parents bought me one and then started to learn pascal my ambition was to design and build games for the mac and that didn't quite pan out because they didn't really have books back then to teach you how to develop games and everyone was kind of figuring everything out, right? It's like, what yeah. can we do with these things that are called personal computers? So, I mean, that's really one where I got my start, but technology in in the broad sense of the term has always been part of my professional life as well, or career. I started off as a consultant building database applications and such, and have a long career in technology consulting, doing all that digital transformation stuff that everyone loves to talk about, custom application development, package software deployments, whole range of stuff. That's how I got started and how technology just became a part of the fabric of who I am professionally and career-wise. Now, is that your original Mac sitting on your desk behind you? 
Yeah, I still have the little 3.5 discs with some of my... It boots? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. It still works. I mean, testament to how they used to build computers back yeah, in the day. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. <laughs> that, that was back when the Mac used to boot with a happy face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do that anymore. Yeah. That's really neat. So now, yeah. now you're an analyst. So what does an analyst do? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's changing quite a bit, but I think... At the end of the day, what an analyst is doing is observing and analyzing what's happening. You know, it depends on what kind of analyst, right? And so I guess what's more important is what kind of analyst am I? Yeah, what kind of analyst are you? How about that? I guess the easiest way of describing it is I look in between the cushions for penny. Leftover, leftover. Yeah, 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 yeah. As we look at these transformative or impactful technologies converge, there are things happening in between where these technologies meet. And I think these intersects are the frontier of where we're going, right? So if you look at something like edge computing, the reason why it's exciting is because we're looking at a lot of the things that are happening on endpoint devices and how they're becoming more capable intersecting with cloud technologies. And it's creating a whole new realm of possibilities across what we call, quote unquote, the edge. Edge and cloud, and in there, all these new possibilities. Okay, so between the internet and the edge, where are the cushions and where are you looking? One of the big areas that I'm looking at is the intersect between emerging wireless technologies, and you can throw 5G into the mix, edge cloud computing, right? A lot of the new intelligence that can be brought from the cloud and are emerging in endpoints. We're seeing smartphones get more powerful. We're seeing a whole new category or categories of devices that are much more capable in terms of compute and intelligence, right? So if you want to call it AI, being able to handle those types of functions and capabilities. And as these things kind of get squished together, there, there are these new architectures and solutions that can be realized. And so that's broadly what I'm looking at. And so a lot of the work that I do, quite frankly, is work with some of the leading tech companies and figure out, okay, what's really forming at this intersect? What's real? What's the roadmap in terms of the progression of how these are evolving and advancing based on the state of the technology and the advancement of the underlying technologies? So, got it. Your analyst firm's name is Next Curve. Yep. And is that like 100 people? No. <laughs> it really isn't. Even though there are some folks who want me to make it a 100 person firm, but it's actually, I'm kind of like a one man band. People ask me, well, don't you want to scale? So it's, yeah, I do want to scale. I want to be able to scale what I can individually do and do the kind of work that I really enjoy doing, but also do the kind of work that my clients find valuable. And so it's really what I've done with Next Curve is take the 30 years of experience that I have. And yes, I have 30, I'm old. Take that experience and channel into some valuable stuff that my clients enjoy and that I have fun doing. You mentioned technology companies as your clients. I mean, yeah. without naming names unless you can, what are the kind of categories of clients that you t tend to have? Well, telco operator, I mean, it's a pretty wide range. So semiconductor companies, mm -hmm. OEMs, electronics companies, systems integrators, device manufacturers, industrial, 
tech companies. So it's a pretty broad range of companies that I work with. I mean, you can kind of get a feel for the different sectors that I work in or with just by following me on LinkedIn, because I opine quite a bit, as you very well know. I share quite a bit. That should give you a good indication of the types of companies and brands that I work with. So, you know, the first season of Over the Edge, my trope was, so what's your definition of edge? And after I got about 100 different answers, I got tired of asking that question because everybody had a different answer. I realized it's just a marketing term, right? Like the customer yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. actually care. It's just yeah. a marketing term. So I came up with a new question, which no. is, okay, no, you've actually answered this. You've given me what I think is one of the best answers to this. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my, ne my next question what, it became, okay, well, what's the difference between edge and on-premises? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and usually people are like they scratch their head and they're like, well, nothing really. But your answer was actually pretty good. Maybe we can go into it a little bit. So you said to me the difference between edge and on premises with edge, the control plane extends all the way back to the cloud. Uh huh. Now, that's not always the answer to what is it, but that's pretty yeah. good. Tell me what you mean by control plane and how that changes what normally would be considered an on premises. Compute. Computer on the factory floor is on-premises, but yeah. we're starting to call it edge computing. Can you help us walk through like the nuances of that? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you reminded me that I told you that. I say a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was really smart. Thanks for reminding me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. I said that. Happens to me all the time, yeah. Yeah, I, I think what we have to do is recognize that when we do talk about edge computing and what's happening, what the interesting things that are happening with edge is what's happening with infrastructure and the way that we look at infrastructure. And as we think in terms of control plane, we're really thinking about a network of things, right? And the edge itself is just a relative thing. It really starts with just a place, an endpoint device or a client device, if you will. And when we think about edge computing, it really is a distributed computing paradigm. And what I mean by that is not in terms of from a cloud perspective. I mean from a endpoint perspective and its relationship to some sort of compute resources that provides services, some intermediary services or aggregation services, oftentimes called the server. And that ends up becoming the infrastructure that we see developing and being built everywhere. Most notably, I mean, I think a good example is what what is happening with the RAN. So when we hear about VRAN and Cloud RAN and all this stuff, what we're seeing is, is that a lot of the cloud technologies are now coming down to the edge and it's the whole RAN, what's happening with the RAN is a perfect example of that, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be open or anything like that, but looking at cloud native technologies, now finding their meaning at the edge. And now as far as control, when we're talking about there is the orchestration of all these resources, the management of these resources as a network. And so that's what I meant by that, or I think I meant by that. <laughs> and that expands, that control plane can extend all the way up to the cloud, right? And when we talk about edge computing and edge, what we're not talking about is the paradigm that has dominated our thinking for the last 15 years, which is you have a client at the edge and it's talking to a, and communicating and relying on a central hyperscale data center. It's highly centralized compute. What we're talking about edge computing is something 
I mean, it starts with CDNs. I mean, everyone knows about CDNs, or I think they do. That has been sort of the genesis of this neo-edge computing thinking and bringing a lot of that kind of network thinking out across this expanse or a continuum that you might call the edge. Yeah, let's unpack some of that because you throw out some some nice telco vernacular. So you mentioned the RAN, the Radio Access Network. And for those of you that aren't in the telco industry, that you can think of as historically being a box, an appliance that sits often at the base of a macro cell tower, right? That's historically what they were. It's called a RAN. Now, if you open that appliance up, it's an Intel server running a bunch of software. And there's some electromagnetic, some radio antennas and stuff like that. So there's some analog stuff that gets involved in this. But basically, it's an Intel server sitting at the base of a cell tower driving an antenna. And what people realize is like, well, hey, why does it have to be on an appliance? Why can't it run on a pool of servers that I buy from Dell or HP or lease from Amazon or whatever? And so the telco industry has gone into this VRAN, virtualized RAN, or cloud RAN, cloud RAN, or open RAN. And it's like, okay, there's like three or four parts. There's a centralized unit, and that's a piece of software. Yeah. And then there's a distributed unit, and that's a piece of software. Mm-hmm. And there's a radio yeah. unit, and that's mostly software, but it does have an antenna. Yeah. And what you're saying is that, okay, now we can spread those things out. Yep. One could be running in a regional data center. Another one could be running on a curbside micromodular yeah. data center. And the last one could be up on the pole. Yeah. And somebody's got to connect all those and orchestrate them. Because if you've yep. got 10,000 small cells all of which are being driven in this kind of area, you're going to need like an orchestration system. And that starts to look a lot like cloud, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or a software-defined network. I mean, all these principles of virtualization, the more progressive cloud-native technologies and compute paradigms, architectures, these are all things that are, are defining the new edge infrastructure, right? There's a lot of folks that will say, yeah, you know, well, we've been doing this forever. Yes, the RAN's been there forever. It used to be proprietary boxes, but these new technologies are allowing for what, like what you just described, the disaggregation of the system into more granular parts. And it allows the system to be distributed in a way that can garner new efficiencies, new types of performance potential. New business models. Yeah, new business models. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, it's really exciting stuff. And that's where when I hear some folks say, well, we've been doing this forever. It's like, yeah, kind of, but not what we're going to see in the next decade and beyond. It's amazing how quickly the cloud native technologies have moved toward the edge of the edge, right? Yeah. And how I mean, it's even in the IoT space, you see people now deploying containers and su- such on devices like AWS. I mean, their whole cloud car concept is let's containerize everything on a vehicle. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. So when you're out there looking for putting your finger on the pulse. What are you seeing actually getting traction today in edge computing? Like who's making money and how are they making money? Maybe if you see anybody making money. Oh, geez. Isn't that like the gajillion dollar question to answer? (laughs) Or where are you telling your clients, like look between these cushions? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Geez. That's a really tough one because I think we're still in early days in the edge cloud story. I think the challenge is that a lot of the infrastructure that we would like to see shape the future narrative of edge cloud. I mean, a lot of it's there. I think there's a brownfield challenge with everything that we've encountered, right? I mean, we, the, the telco folks, they see it. Industrial folks, they see it. I think the cushion to 
look under and or the crack to explore is modernization. Because the thing is, is that we can get really aspirational about all these technologies. I mean, chat GPT, AI, 5G, blah, blah, everything. Inevitably run into the problem of reality and that we are dealing with a lot of systems that the future will depend on, these visions will depend on. And so modernization, I think, is a huge opportunity because if you can't modernize and you don't modernize, you can't really pull through a lot of these aspirational applications and visions that we have for these technologies. I think I totally agree with you. I think I totally agree with you that a big chunk of the early demand is does look like modernization. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so when I started in Edge seven years ago, right, we all thought it was going to be autonomous cars, right? We all kind of, I bought into that. I thought, wow, this is how we're going to get it. It may be eventually Edge is going to play an important role in right. autonomous cars. But I don't know, last time you were out on the street, I didn't see any autonomous I cars. I too many. Yeah, right. there aren't too many. But here's but, the thing. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to go with this. So what, we, what I've discovered in all this is that, like the biggest low-hanging fruit opportunity are all of those existing on-premises workloads. Yeah. Right? They're sitting on premises. Most enterprises right. don't want to be in the data center business anymore. It's a capitally intensive, yeah. especially yeah. as they upgrade their apps to AI. They've got to buy all these like GPUs and they got to change the air conditioning and get more power. And they're like, I don't yeah. want, I don't want to do this anymore. Can I yeah. just like buy this from Amazon or somebody else? Yeah. And it's literally just moving those workloads off premises. But then to your point, well, onto what? Right. There has to be something there. The nearest right. Amazon region might be 3000 miles away. I can't drive my factory on that or yeah. do my real time computer vision on my cameras. So it has to be like really close. Well, that yeah. starts to look like edge. Right? Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> so, again, going back to what we we're talking about, the phenomenon that's really driving the new possibilities are like these cloud native technologies. Right. That doesn't mean cloud. We're talking about the technologies. Right. Mm microservices architectures and right well it doesn't mean the public cloud it means it doesn't cloud mean wherever it's running all right i mean you can virtualize this you can it is already you know what i'm saying yeah the biggest challenge is how do we create the tools how do we create the accelerators to drive modernization i really like your point it's the workloads the systems that or the infrastructure that workloads that exist today run on and how do we then capitalize on the value that these cloud native technologies or edge cloud native technologies can foster. Now, one of the interesting things is this, is as these cloud native technologies come closer or start to infiltrate the vast expanse that is the edge, it's challenging everyone's assumption because you take the hyperscaler mindset, you try to apply it to the edge, it does not work. The edge is totally a different beast. And we're seeing that realization in the industry start to play out. Let's talk about that. I'm a hyperscale cloud provider. How is the edge different for me? How should I be looking at it? How is it changing my perceptions? We have to look at latency, networking. I mean, well, networking in a very, very different way. When we look at the compute deployment, it's going to be more constrained. You're not, I mean, it's not a massive data center that you're looking at in most instances. The hardware designs, I mean, let's just talk about hardware for a minute. I, I did a podcast with a buddy of mine, Earl Lum, and we were talking about how the servers that go into a distributed unit look very different and have different 
requirements than what you have in a data center. Yeah. It's just a different environment. So that means that you have to design hardware differently. It also means that you need to design software differently and then design the network differently. It's a different universe. And I think one of the big opportunities is figuring out, okay, how do we continue to develop the tooling, the capabilities that allow us to apply the benefits of cloud native technologies across our existing infrastructures as well as new infrastructures. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. Now, you mentioned earlier on when you're talking about your work background, your history, you mentioned digital transformation, which is one of those like almost cringeworthy word. words. Yeah, there isn't a better word, but it's like, oh, gosh, did you really say digital transformation? And then you said modernization, which is like another very. So let's actually get specifically. So a business today, what does it mean for it to modernize? What does it mean for it to digitally transform? How should I as an executive, as a potential client of yours, be thinking about how my business is today and what I might maybe should be doing with it. I did a talk on digital transformation with one of my clients. And so here's the thing. This is where the role of modernization is actually applying technologies, okay, to modernize. And hopefully it's in a continuous way. It inevitably has to be because rarely can we do big bang stuff anymore is to enhance your business capabilities applying technologies that are always evolving that you can count on to change constantly, right? That's the one probably truth that you can deal with in, <laughs> in life. And then the digital transformation part is really being able to capitalize on these new capabilities that you have in evolving your business. Now that can either take the shape of new operational efficiencies that you can garner through these new capabilities, or it could be extending your business and your business model and your markets through the application of these new capabilities. And so that's that more of the top line <laughs> digital transformation, but that's how modernization and digital transformation kind of play with each other. At least that's the way I think. There might be some people who d disagree. That's fine. You can make comments in, in the section below. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's interesting because we live in this very bespoke world of technologists that hang yeah. out on LinkedIn together or go to these shows yeah. together, right? And it's kind of like the Star Trek convention, right? <laughs> and <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> it is, Never right? heard it described that way, but yeah. And then you go outside this world yeah. and you think of everything being digital. I can't remember the last time I st stored a piece of paper by sticking in a folder except a, an original birth certificate, right? Everything yeah. else I just photograph and I stick up on the cloud and I don't deal with it. But I interviewed a guy on the podcast the other day who was saying, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, you live in this tiny, tiny little world inside this Star Trek convention. Yeah. But I've got a guy down in Chile where... The data readings from the plant is he walks around with a clipboard yeah. <laughs> and a pencil, yeah. right? And so modernization is, okay, let's give him Excel, and then we'll give him a sensor that automatically reports. Do you recommend your clients in general, and I realize every client's going to be a little bit different, do you tend on the side of you need to take more risks because you need to modernize faster than your competitors, or are you on the side of it's okay to wait? I mean, you can do either. It really mm -hmm. depends on what your priorities are, but there is nothing wrong with waiting. Because you can observe all the mistakes that the pioneers make. I mean, everyone always brings up Apple, right, in this regard. They claim that Apple's always late. And it's like, no, they're just either they know more than the people who are front running, but for sure they're observing 
as their thesis of what it takes to actually, quote unquote, win. Yeah, I mean, they took so long to introduce a smartphone after everybody had already done that. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, think about this whole AR thing, you know, uh, XR thing. It's like, oh, they're so behind and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, maybe they know something you don't know, right? right? What I think is more important is you focus on value, but having a crystal clear idea of what that is. I mean, yeah, sure, you can experiment, but there's a cost to that, right? And most companies don't have the budget to go out and do all kinds of like Google X type of experiments for their business. That's just the reality. Speaking of Star Trek convention and being in a tech bubble, most people out there, most companies out there, they don't subscribe to this thinking, right? I think one of the funny things is that you have all these academic papers out there talking about you need to digital transform or you're going to lose out. People, you ask them what's digital transformation, they have no idea and they don't care. And that's why we still talk about digital transformation. You see the same, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Slideware from like years ago and the same talking points. And I think a lot of the challenge here is that the message doesn't resonate. But if you're purposeful about how you look at technology, look at applying it, building new capabilities and coming up with solutions to solve problems or to advance and evolve your business, that's a different thing. But it's also a much more difficult conversation to have, right? There has to be substance. You can't just walk in with some hypothetical stuff and then talk to a board or a business leader and say, hey, let me scare the crap out of you with some survey results. You know what I'm saying? It, does, it doesn't work that way. And we also have to be mindful that digital transformation can be done wrong. Hmm. We all assume, oh, you have to digitally transform because the outcomes are assured. I mean, we speak like that is some kind of truth, but it's not. Can you give me an example of a digital transformation that was a failure, of it, that didn't yield results? I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to speak to it because nobody writes about this stuff, right? It just yeah. happens. What gets written about are all the successes. The challenges are all out there. I mean, look at every single cybersecurity incident, data breach, blah, 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 all these things are an outcome. I mean, these are very visible outcomes of less than stellar, let's call it digital transformation efforts. I can actually name a few, but I don't know if I can disclose them publicly. It's probably not a good idea. Can you anonymize it and give us an example of we started out to do something like this and this is what happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like one of these big bang implementations, transformations, ERP. Right. And one of the big challenges that the organization had was this thing called change management. This is going to resonate with a lot of people. Back in the day, and it probably still happens today, change management is a line item in a project that you always saw taken out, okay, along with testing. <laughs> Not funny? Yeah. Yeah. And so when That's you take happen. those two things out, what happens? Number one, the application or whatever it is that you are- It's broken and then nobody adopts it because it's broken and because you didn't put any training in there. Okay, end of story. <laughs> now, your listeners, almost every single one of them is going to go, oh yeah, I've seen that happen before. But then you will never see that in a 
study. Uh, it's study. It's like, hey, look, look at how this got jacked up. No, one, no right. one's going to talk about right. it. My point being is this, is that for the people who celebrate and kind of worship data or digital transformation, we need to be mindful that uh, to get to the benefits of it, we need to practice well. And that's a discipline that is tough to, number one, it's tough to get that experience. It's getting tougher because the technology continues to change and become more complex. And so the discipline of being, let's call it a digital transformist, I don't know if I'm coining a new term, is becoming tougher. I think the onus is on folks who call themselves solution providers to up their game constantly. I don't think things get easier. I think they're getting tougher, Hmm. right? Edge computing, all all the confusion around edge. I mean, there's still people who don't get cloud all that. Right, right. IoT is a mess. AI in and of itself is spoken in such general terms. It's like, I always bump into a situation where I'm going, what AI are you talking about? Right. And then when you find out, it's like, oh, okay, well, that, that's like... Yeah. A lot of progress is made if you can disambiguate the terms people use. I've discovered that also. It's like, do you mean this type of edge computing? Right. It's an important step to take in having a meaningful conversation. And it's something that I always did when I was a solution architect and managing and leading large teams. Oftentimes, you have folks on your team coming from different backgrounds. They have different types of technical competencies. They might be a a Java guy versus a .NET guy, and they use different terminologies for the same thing. It's important to get everybody on the same semantics. So people who listen to me oftentimes go, dude, you make such a big deal out of words, but words matter a lot, especially when you're on the hook of delivering your leading team. Words are the most important thing, Yeah. right? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely get that. So you recently spoke about edge computing in retail. Can you talk a little bit about that? What's the most interesting opportunities for edge computing in retail? Yeah, that's a good question. The interesting stuff happening at the edge for retail, I think, is localizing the personalization, being able to close the loop on customer interactions. Now, it sounds easy, but it's not, right? There's a lot of opportunities to localize because privacy is a big thing. I think it's going to become a bigger thing going forward. And retailers need to be able to, in the future and today, better manage their customer data, make sure that there's localized management of it, and that whatever types of new retail capabilities they want to deploy in their store locations, the physical locations, that it's there for whatever purpose. And it's not put at, let's call it risk in the central cloud. I'm starting to hear a lot of this talk about how the cloud is more secure. I don't really know what that means, but definitely for retail, when you look at the big box stores, they're very interested in localizing the data to the store and being able to drive analytics much more in a, let's call it a purposeful way for that particular store location. And so the edge computing, that opportunities that you're seeing in retail are of that kind of nature. Now there's different possibilities for, I would say, smaller retailers, right? So let's think in terms of the pop-ups, right? The little street side vendors and stuff like that. 
I think there's some really cool possibilities there to bring, let's say, large-scale retail capabilities to the individual or the smaller retailer. Like what are right? some examples of those capabilities? Think about pop-up stores, right? Being able to bring a lot of the personalization and the intelligent retail capabilities that you see a lot of the big box stores are pursuing, bring it down to a small pop-up operation. Those capabilities that have largely been attributed to or only accessible to retailers that have these big wallets, right? Think about that in terms of new business opportunities for either telcos or other forms of retail solution providers. And being able to capitalize on the edge to localize the data in a very similar fashion, but yet be able to make those retail experiences, the personalized retail experiences portable. There's a lot of possibilities, whether it's you know, like what we were saying before, the on-prem stuff, which is what you see a lot of the large, like the Walmarts of the world doing, and some of the more public edge cloud type of possibilities whether it's provided by a service provider that's offering these things in a SaaS type of model. Right. Yeah. And what's interesting about retail is, so there's two trends that are sort of fighting against each other. One is let's add more capabilities. So automated inventory, automated checkout, loss prevention, like personalization, yeah. all these things. But the retail store is not a great place for a data center. It's not even a great place for an equipment closet, especially if it's like running data center-like stuff. Like, again, like a bunch of NVIDIA oh, yeah, GPUs yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. It's also, when you think about maintenance, like the truck roll has to go to every store because you're not going to have that expertise on site. And when you think about capital expense, you've got to invest in the same equipment in every store, even though yeah. you can throw a rock from one Starbucks and hit another Starbucks. Yeah. And the last thing is that if you have everything on the store property, you've got a single point of failure that maybe isn't your greatest disaster recovery scenario. Absolutely. And, right. and so how do we deal with those two? Like, ah, last thing I want is a data center, but now I need one to do all these capabilities. How does that play out? Yeah. Well, it's edge infrastructure. So like near premises as a service so that you can, yeah, you buy a fractional piece of a exactly. metal or, or network or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So coming full circle, it's those new possibilities across the edge infrastructures. And, and so as you look at building your applications for retail, you can localize something, certain things, you can keep things on premise, but then it can, you can keep certain things on device, but then for certain workloads and certain data sets, you can have it deployed closer and closer to the cloud. It might, and some of it in the cloud, right? And so I, I guess the, the easy way of looking at it is that there, there is this continuum and the, the, you have this whole, whole buffet of stuff that you can consider when you look at how you want to architect your systems and applications and deploy them in a way that makes sense. It's not a simple exercise, but I think that's really where a solution architect or a systems architect and developers need to develop an awareness of what's available, what's possible, and then put together a system design as well as application architectures that can take advantage of what's available, but then also deliver on the system and the application at a lower price point or with more performance than was possible before. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about sort of observability, right? 
So one of the things that edge computing is definitely driving, or maybe it's yeah. the other way around, one of the things that's pulling edge computing is the emergence of low-cost sensors. And a lot of times um, these sensors can produce a tremendous amount of data. A 4K camera produces a tremendous sure. amount of data. And we're getting this explosion of sensors that are producing data all the time. In the software world, we've started calling that observability. The nuance between analytics and observability, it's one of these like, what is edge computing? But one of the ones that I like, one of the distinctions I like is that observability is a characteristic of a system. It is observable as opposed to analytics, yeah. which is you got to go figure out how to instrument it, do it. And so we're in this world where everything is observable. Like everything that's yeah. important in our world is observable. There's so much data about say a factory floor and I can consume all this data with all these cloud computers that are nearby and are operating at land speed. And I can build a model of my plant floor and all the things going through it and then do AI inferencing against that to affect changes or predict downtime or that sort yeah. of thing. Sure. How, tell me how you see the digital twin yeah. evolving and helping us, whether okay. it's like figuring yeah. out what to, where to put stuff in my store or how to prevent shutdowns at my factory. Yeah. Okay. So first off with observability, you could, but the big question and challenge is, can you? That's the tough part. We assume that everything can be instrumented. Everything can become part of the view that we have of things. But that's a challenge in and of itself. As far as a digital twin goes, what's clear to me through a lot of the research that I've done for quite some time on the topic, as well as just recent debates that I've had, is that one of the things that it will do everyone a favor is understand that it's just a concept. It's not even a technology. It's a construct that you would use to inform how you can create a digital representation of something for whatever purpose. So I think it takes all kinds of different shapes and form depending on what you're trying to do. No reason to get religious about it, but one of the things that I tend to promote in my particular sect of digital twin thinking is that it is twinning with a unique physical object. And for the purpose of synchronizing these two things for a certain purpose. Oftentimes what is going to manifest itself in terms of application is some sort of observability or visibility application and or control. And ultimately, when we look at the realization of a digital twin, you're gonna be looking at having this closed feedback loop of control happening with that thing. That's how we get to automation, right? Yeah. And eventually, if we throw a little bit of intelligence in the middle, it's going to have a bit of autonomy. The digital twin stuff is interesting. It's a practice in a lot of ways. It's hard for me to get really excited about it and claim that it can do something. It can take very simple form and deliver tremendous amount of value, right? It could just be like a couple of attributes that just happen to be important for whatever application you are. Right. Is the building on fire or not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but does that mean you have to have a 3D model of the thing right. and then have a physics model underneath it with first principles and then a simulate? Do you need all of that stuff? Or is it as simple as having a couple of little sensors on the thing that determine temperature, humidity, <laughs> pressure, and then having that stream to analyze and to provide you with the kind of insight that you're looking for. So you know what I'm saying? Okay, if you want to start to progress this thing to support more advanced applications like autonomous control, well, okay, that's a different story. 
Yeah. So Leonard, when you look out to the future, you look at, and I kind of want to ask you both sort of relatively near term. So let's say the next 18 to 24 months, and then like the next decade, what's most interesting and exciting to you? Oh, geez. That's a tough question. There's a lot of exciting stuff. What's happening in the semiconductor industry with heterogeneous computing and advanced packaging is really interesting, combining that with what's happening on the compute end with more of this AI-infused compute. I'm not talking about gen AI, but the way that we look at applications and how they're being built infuses both sort of this AI and conventional software development and how these two worlds are coming together to enable the next generation of software applications. But then all that super interesting stuff that's happening under the hood, right? With the hardware and mm -hmm. how it's promoting these and fostering these new device categories. There's just so many exciting things. It, it, it's hard to say that one thing is more important than the other. It, it's just the confluence of all these different technologies and trends and advancements. They really contribute to some amazing things that we can expect in the future. Let me ask the question a little bit different way. All right. So imagine you're a super being, you're yeah. looking out over the landscape of everything and you realize there are some things that are holding us back. Government regulation, I don't know, whatever it is. And if you could go and push a couple of those dominoes to make the advancement that you want to see happen faster, which dominoes would you push? What are the things that you think we really need some help getting over over the hump a little bit and would make a big difference? The big thing nowadays is going to be trust. That gets in the way of a lot of stuff. Trust in technologies, the applications, trust in organizational intent. If I give you my data, will you keep it? Yes. Trust <laughs> is going to be the biggest thing. And it's funny because I wrote about that. It was part of our study that we did. It was the first Next Curve study for Ofcom. One of the three pillar themes, one of them was trust. And not just technical trust. Yep. You mean like the humans that are part of that that can make yeah, yeah. bad decisions. That. And then where is the root of trust going to be for our societies or, and everything, quite yeah. honestly? Because a lot of it's becoming under question, right? And it's one of the challenges that the democratization of technology is going to impose upon humanity. We can see that. Maybe some of us, it's not as visible to some folks, but we will eventually see that trust is going to be probably in short supply and probably one of the more precious things. <laughs> yeah, that's a really fascinating, that's a subject of a whole nother podcast, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And there's the edge and edge computing, all the stuff happening at edge is going to have a lot to do with. Yeah, it's just going to make it more complex. Totally got it. Totally got it. Hey, Leonard, thanks so much for coming on. If people want to find you online, where should they look for you? Oh, man. Follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I have quite a following there. I call them friends. I don't like the term follower, but I have a lot of friends on LinkedIn. You can also follow my research at www.next-curve.com. Also have a YouTube channel, Next Curve, so you can check that out. We'll put all those links in the show notes too. So, And then I have a newsletter that's doing pretty well, and you can follow me on a monthly basis. I have some opining that I include in that, as well as links to all the research and media stuff that I do. And bait them with AI chatter on LinkedIn. <laughs> 
you know me too well. I do, man. All right, Leonard, thanks so much for coming. It's been a great show. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for having me on. I'm really glad I had a chance to jump on and have fun with you. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.